We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello? We're on to Cincinnati. You play to win the game. It was all that Dan Marino's fault. Everyone knows that. When it's too tough for them, it's just right for us. Rockpile Report, AFC East Roundup, hosted by Bill's season ticket holder, Drew Gear, a part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the AFC East Roundup Podcast. I'm your host, Bill's season ticket holder, Drew Gear. That's my producer, Chris Krueger. And we are the only team in the AFC East still playing football. That's a trippy. As it should be. Now, as always, we have to start at we have to start in the basement, right? If we're going to try to run back what everybody's season was, because as we always like to do at the end of every year, we take a look back at the season that was for each AFC East team and have a conversation about successes and failures. And you know, I, for the first time in a long time, this was another there was another AFC East playoff team. <laughs> we there was two. Mm-hmm. What, last year we played the Dolphins, and then that's so, it. So two years out of the last decade and a half. No, because the Bills and Patriots were both making it. Like 2019 was the last time the Patriots made it, correct? Then they got their asses handed to them. And they got beat up. And then the Bills also made the playoffs that year, and we lost to Houston, I believe. That was the Houston year. I mean, we we played the. Um... We played the Patriots in that perfect wild card game that was like sub zero temperatures. That was twenty twenty one. All right, that was the last time the Patriots so, were in. Yep. However, hate to break it to everybody, Christian couldn't make it tonight because he is having a séance for Bill Belichick <laughs> leaving the Patriots, so he's not here due to the séance. Here's what's funny: he's actually having dinner with his wife for his forty fifth birthday. I'll tell you what, if you were to see the guy, he doesn't look 45. Although maybe that's because he's... His bald. hairline is. <laughs> his his hairline is 78. He looks like he looks like an extra from Grumpy Old Men. But at the same time, in the face, he's very youthful. He's got a vibrance to him. I, <laughs> Although, I, Chris, our listeners, I don't know if they get to see it. 
on these shows, like the camera angle that we use for him or the camera thing, what do you put on the screen? I've never even watched one. Like, what do you put up? Is it just us talking and then, like... There's a thing underneath, like a okay. ESPN bottom line that says, we are joined by Patriots fan Christian Simonelli. What I love is that Christian always picks the worst angles to hold his phone at when he's talking to us on Zoom. Like... Well, when we get him on Zoom for the actual recording, he turns his camera off. Yeah, but beforehand, he always has, like, a double chin looking at me. But it's like that happens to everybody who holds their phone like this. Yeah, Andy's wearing a white shirt. Or, and it's always, or it's always a the guinea tank top. Tea. It's always the guinea tea. <laughs> and then I remember the one time before he even turned his camera on, I was like, I bet you there's spaghetti sauce on it, isn't there? There's a sauce stain on that thing somewhere. It's called profiling people. The Patriots... 4-13 and 13 record, 4th in the AFC East. Man, you know, the question if we're trying to discern for every single team whether their season was a success or a failure, what can you call a season that's so bad that an icon gets fired from your franchise other than an abject failure? Is that how it was listed? He was fired? They parted ways after they gave him a contract extension. What would you call that? Do you do you think that Robert Kraft gave it to him as charity, Chris? Yeah. I mean, Kraft is a pretty charitable guy. You know, he did in fact, you know, he he donates all he's got a, you know, cuz I believe his wife passed of cancer, so he has a lot of charitable foundations for cancer research. He donates money to a lot of like Boys and Girls Club, children's causes in the in the Boston and greater whatever you want to call it, New England area. Uh, he donates a lot of money to massage uh, clinics down there in Florida. He's putting a lot of money in the hands of a lot of other people. But I don't see him treating Bill Belichick like a charity. I think that there was a belief that if we give him an extension and we show him we have faith, he'll turn this thing around. And it just didn't work. Not only did it not work, but what you did was you actually continued to destroy your quarterback. A quarterback that was drafted in the first round, who it's now that people feel comfortable leaking things because you're no longer Darth Vader skulking around the Death Star looking for someone to choke out. People feel comfortable releasing video of you being snarky about the draft pick of Mac Jones. People feel comfortable talking about what a toxic atmosphere he cultivated between the coaching staff, between the players. And... It's like you can't watch this and not do something, especially when it's it's now clear that we are a franchise who is going to have to draft another rookie quarterback. Do I want that guy to be the one who's handling that? Why? So he can mismanage and destroy the confidence of another young quarterback prospect who might be good. I'm not going to say Mac Jones ever had the tools to be elite but he could have been maybe useful and now you've relegated him to a backup to Bailey Zappi. Like, that's what we've done here. That is a that's abject failure right there. So you've got failure in the sense that you destroyed your quarterback. You've got failure in the sense that another icon has left the franchise. And now you're left with nothing but questions. And so if we want to talk about the biggest storyline for the Patriots, Chris, it's got to be what do they do about their quarterback situation? Because that's the foundational piece to a football team. 
they have what? Um, third pick? They have the third pick. So you're the- out on Drake May. You're out on Caleb Williams. So There's a Jaden Daniels out they, there. And he's not on their level. Not on their level at all. You're gonna if you want to ensure yourself of having one of the two. I would say what I see from the national media, and I'm using air quotes here. If you're just listening, is can't miss is Caleb and, and Drake, and then there's like a distant separation between second and third quarterback rankings. So then maybe you do what the Houston Texans did, and you make a trade up. What then? I don't know. Do they? I don't even know what their pick selection looks like. Do they have extras? D- who knows? I'm not a Patriots fan. I just laugh at their misery. I don't. <clears throat> that's usually what we have guests on here to tell us about. But realistically, for me, that's the biggest storyline. I don't care what you do with your salary cap. I don't care who you... First of all, who's spending the money? Who is your GM? Do we know? What, what, did they promote Bilicek's son, Joe Dirt? Did they put him in the GM chair? I... I don't know who's going to be making the decisions there as far as how their money gets spent. And that's why I don't look at free agency. I look at this and I say, you as a franchise might actually be better off. Yes, you have to sign players. You might be better off waiting a year before you go on some kind of wild spending spree. Or if you do, make it all one-year deals that you can revisit this again next year. Because whatever you do, it's not going to help you in 2024. Like, there's no quick turnaround for this team. There is a lot of spots that need a lot of talent. There are a lot of upgrades needed. And, oh, by the way, I don't even know if my head coach is good. I don't know if my coordinators are any good. I don't know if this coaching staff is actually a functional one. So putting all of your eggs in this rebuild basket, you go back to what the Bills were in 2017. Sean McDermott hit his first season with his pick of Tyrod Taylor, what was it, Ty- Tyrod Taylor? Rick Dennison. No, no, no. Uh, who who were the quarterbacks? Because I remember being in a casino in Pittsburgh and ha- and seeing Mark Schlereth, and at the time I hated his guts. And he was like, well, there's an open quarterback competition taking place. Oh, maybe that was the Rex Ryan here, where he was talking about how there's an open competition between Matt Castle, uh, somebody else, and Tyrod Taylor. And there's not really a, co- a competition because they don't have an NFL. Team. 2017, we had Tyrod Peterman and Joe Webb. Okay, so it was clear Tyrod was the guy based on the Rex Ryan experience, but they weren't sold on him being our long. They proved that they weren't sold on him long term. So, but they still needed that gap year. They needed the year to make sure they had their coaching staff trued up. Found out they hated their offensive coordinator and fired him. Found Brian Dable the next year. They found their quarterback the next year. They started. They pared down their cap over the over two seasons, accumulated draft capital, and then made moves in year two and three to get to where 2019, 2020, playoff runs, MVP conversations, all of that stuff came because they were willing to take their medicine for two years and figure out what the hell they wanted to be. I think that's the big. That's that's the conversation the Patriots are going to spend the entire offseason having is just how do we do this in a controlled fashion so that we're not the Jets? Because the Jets have been trying to do this. Chris, remember, we had the conversation about building from the outside in or the inside out. The Bills and Jets both had gobs of free agency cash. They had two quarterbacks who were taken in the same class, both in the top ten, and the question was going to be who could build a more functional franchise. The Bills spent all their assets on obtaining linemen and running backs and 
trying to get things in front to help their quarterback. The Jets spent on flashy pieces. We're going to go out and pay a Le'Veon Bell. We're going to go pay for skill players. That linebacker? C.J. Mosley. We're going to go get all of these bits and pieces, the star players, big names. We'll figure the trenches out. You look at the domino effect of that. We still have Mitch Morse from that free agency cycle. And we've been able to retain guys, and we've been able to draft guys and find people to fill our holes. But we built a functional unit in front of our quarterback enough so that we went to an AFC title game. Meanwhile, the Jets are now turning the entire offensive line over again because they never invested in it wisely in the first place when they had the window. The Patriots need to avoid that. Or don't. I mean, it'll be funnier. It's one of the, It'd be funnier if you didn't. It would be a lot funnier if you just repeated Bilichek's free agency mistakes from, what, three years ago? Yeah. Bring Cam Newton back while you're at it. It's going to be interesting to see how they survive this one because Patriots fans, you know, I'll I'll close this with a sentiment that I got from my cousin Molly. Now, she's a Bills fan living in in Massachusetts her entire life. Her and her boyfriend, who is a Patriots fan, my whole Massachusetts family, they're all Patriots fans. Her mom and dad are Patriots fans and all of her sisters and their boy significant others. And <clears throat> her boyfriend is a Patriots fan. And so I texted her and I said, how's Ryan taking the departure of Bill Belichick? And she said, he's actually kind of nonplussed by it all. She goes, the secret is Patriots fans never loved the Patriots. They just loved winning. They loved winning. They didn't care about the guy. They didn't care about the man. They didn't care about... You have some like Christian Simonelli who cared about Tom Brady, and it made him misty-eyed. He cared about the head coach. But by and large, most of your your average Patriots fan didn't care who was doing it. They didn't care about the guys or the X's and O's or the reasons they were successful. They just liked the fact that they were winners. And now that they're not, everyone seems to just be kind of shrugging at their football team. Couldn't be a Bills fan. You couldn't be a Bills fan like that. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And so then that brings me to the New York Jets, who finished third place, not the basement, third place in the AFC East. You come back, they have a... They have what some could be. It's hard, right? As we're sitting here having this conversation about disappointment, whether we deem a season a failure or a success, they have a seven and ten season. 
which is better than I think a lot of people maybe might have expected, given how awry things went at the beginning. But at the same time, you know, beauty truly is in the eye of the beholder when it comes to these things. And so, as always, Mr. Scott Mason from Play Like a Jet, here to give us his insight as he comes to us live from a cruise ship. <laughs> How's life on the water there, sir? Well, it's interesting. I got to watch all the playoff games, so that was cool. And I will say there were a ton of Bills fans. It's funny, too, because you can see certain fan bases are overrepresented and certain fan bases are underrepresented on these. Let me just tell you, you could hear people screaming and yelling during that Browns game, at least the beginning when the Browns were right in there. Once the Texans started beating them to shreds, you didn't hear much, but there are a lot of Bills fans, a lot of Chiefs fans, because you know people are front runners, a lot of Brown, a lot of Browns fans. So it's it's been interesting. Uh, this, is a, this ship is huge, sixty five hundred people on this ship. It's insane. It's like wow. being it's like being on an it's like being at, at a um like a pretty good sized sports venue, but on the sea. That's it is pretty interesting when you think about like what it takes to orchestrate that. And then you're just surrounded by this massive humanity. And oh, by the way, all this stuff we're doing, we're we're actively floating at sea. (laughs) It's just (laughs) it is a it's a strange dynamic. It's cruises are always very interesting in terms of a trip and the quality of the trip and what every individual's experience is. Now, in terms of experience, we're talking about the New York Jets 2023 2024 season. And it's hard I think for someone on the outside, which is why there's so many nuances of the the season that we just watched for the New York Jets that I we kind of need the fan perspective and from someone from your side of the fence, because it's easy to sit back. Right. Like, I think that if I wanted to try to find a silver lining as someone who's not like not emotionally invested in whether the team is good or not. You can find some things, you know, you can point to the fact that there was like Sauce Gardner, first player to be what all pro in his first two seasons in the NFL like that. That's cool. Knowing that you have a preeminent talent on your team like that, knowing that your defense for the most part hung with every single opponent that you played, regardless of quarterback or pedigree. Like if I was trying to be positive, I could probably find a few things and then I would go about my I would go about my life. (laughs) I would never give it a second thought as someone who has kind of agonized over the way this has gone first first and foremost. What was the biggest disappointment of the 2023 season for you? I mean, it should go without saying, right? Aaron Rodgers not being able to see him play for the Jets other than the first four Part, uh, first four plays of the year, that's easily the most disappointing one. But because that's so obvious, I'll try to give you another one. I guess the other one that was disappointing is that the Jets were unable to find a way to reasonably compete for a playoff spot. And, and I think part of this, look, there's a million reasons, but the offensive line injuries, the fact that the pass-catching weapons weren't as good as they thought, especially Alan Lazard. Oh my goodness. And then obviously what happened to quarterback where many of us said, if the plan was for Zach Wilson to red shirt, which they kept saying it was, he never should have been in a position to play. I'm not sitting here telling you that Jacoby Brissett or somebody like that gets the jets into the playoffs. Maybe he does. Maybe he doesn't, but I do think they'd have had a better chance 
with somebody like him. And so for the Jets to not have a better plan B, I thought was disappointing. And honestly, I guess I can't say I'm disappointed in Nathaniel Hackett because I never expected anything from him. I'm disappointed in the offense overall, but I can't say I'm disappointed in Hackett. I knew that he was basically just the product of Aaron Rodgers. So, yeah, Rodgers is the number one disappointment. The injuries were another disappointment, particularly on the O-line. And then the other disappointment is the fact that the Jets had no real contingency plan for if something happened to Rodgers. And let me tell you, Drew, I've said this on my own show, the way I come at it now is they now have a vision of what this team looks like without Aaron Rodgers, right? And they know they have to make improvements around Rodgers, or they better know that. Otherwise, this is going to get potentially ugly. They've got to upgrade the O-line. They've got to get him at least one more serious weapon in the passing game, probably two. But they've also got to have a contingency plan this time because they know now that Rodgers, they know what it looks like without Rodgers, and they know that it's very possible that something could happen to him. So with that being the case, I don't want to hear an excuse about we lost Aaron Rodgers and therefore you can't judge Joe Douglas and you can't judge Robert Sala. That's out the window now. You find a way to ensure against what happens to Rodgers. Again, you don't have to expect a Super Bowl or something. I wouldn't expect it even with Rodgers, but you don't have to expect a Super Bowl with a backup quarterback, but you've got to put yourself in position to at least be like what the Colts were this year, which is down to the very end competing for a playoff spot. Because the way I look at it, Drew, honestly, well, that's a great thing. Because if you think about this, you're talking about a team with a young head coach with a kind of a roster that's lost talent. You can make the case that the Colts lost talent, whether it be free agency, whether it be the regression of players like Shaq Leonard, who eventually had to be released. And I think he's now playing for the Eagles, or at least he was playing for the Eagles until they got bounced out of the playoffs in hilarious fashion. So they just were a team that really kind of they had all the they had the recipe for a team that should have found its way to being in the same conversation that the Jets were. And instead they were competing for a playoff spot right down to the end because they did the things that you're talking about. They brought in a Gardner Minshew to say, Hey, if this quarterback option a doesn't pan out, we at least have a decent option B. And then at the same time, you're talking about a group of people who you go, this is a first time head coach. What does this look like? Have we even had a chance to massage the roster in terms of weapons he wants, in terms of how he thinks he wants his team to run? He made it work. And so you take that and you look at at your own coaching staff and go, this is kind of an indictment on the things that you as a GM, Chris Ballard, or Joe Douglas, Chris Ballard did the things. And at the same time, this rookie head coach came in. Well, Robert Sala, how come you can't? get this done when this guy managed to do it now he didn't make the playoffs but they came within striking distance and to your point that's where you'd want to be now well and drew just to say real quickly along the lines of what you're talking about i'm look if you want to say that because of all the injuries on the o-line and rogers and all of that fine okay run it back i'm it's not necessarily what i would do but they made that decision all right but now you know what happened this year? Yep. So you've got to plan accordingly and you have no room for excuses anymore. Yep. We, we know what happened 
With Rodgers gone, we know what happened with all these O-line injuries. We know that the passing game weapons weren't good enough. We know that the backup quarterback wasn't good enough. That's got to get fixed. And if you don't fix it, you have nobody but yourself to blame if this happens again next year. Sure. And you're also looking at the coaching staff because here I am, like I've got pro football reference pulled up and I'm just looking at the way the season went. I'm looking at the numbers. You had a football team that was three and three coming out of their bye. And you say to yourself, okay, that win over the Giants was ugly. It was some of the ugliest football that that has ever been televised. And at the same time, you come out with a win and you're a 500 football team. And you say, okay, let's make the most of what we have here and see if we can keep ourselves in this wild card potential conversation. Even knowing all of the injuries and all of the things that aren't going the way we want them to. You guys end up hitting a five-game losing streak. And when you look at the scoring and when you look at the way it went... The team alternated between, hey, our defense kept a game close, and then, hey, our defense got blown out of the water. Now, sometimes that was the offense setting the defense up for failure, so I'm not going to blame this completely on the defense. But I guess as a coach, you have to look at that and say, okay, back-to-back-to-back. Stacking wins is hard to do in the NFL. It's hard enough because it is a week-to-week league. You watch teams who blow a team out one week and then get run roughshod on the next. It But when you see something like this, where you go, the team is never scoring more than 15 points at any point during this losing streak. And at the same time, some weeks, the defense comes out and they do their job and the offense doesn't make the glaring mistakes. And then the following week, everything falls apart. Knowing that there's not going to be any coaching changes, that has to be a major part of the offseason storyline is what did this coaching staff learn from this experience, if anything? That's going to help them not fall face first into that trap because you can blame the talent. You can blame the, the, the lack of Aaron Rodgers. You can blame the offensive line for a lot of things. What you can't blame them for is not having 53 guys who are ready to compete every single week. And just try, even if you're not scoring 20 points, can you try to play some mistake free football, mental mistake free football? That's coaching. And so I think that that's a huge part of what you guys have coming up in the offseason. What do you think one of the biggest offseason storylines for the Jets is going to be? Is it how you guys manage the cap situation in relation to the players you want to keep, plus all these upgrades that you want to talk about? Is it how you guys approach the draft? Because I think that you guys manage to do the thing. It's the nightmare scenario where you're, you're not quite there and you know you have needs and you know you have roster building things that you have to do. But you just managed to play yourself out of one of those top five, like really premium picks. I mean, to, to you, what's your mm-hmm. favorite storyline of the offseason that you're going to be watching? It's all about how can they fix the offense. That's it. That's the biggest storyline by far, because we can talk about the coaches and all this other stuff. Those guys are all coming back. They've already said no changes, which is hilarious. Worst offense in like 60 years and nobody gets fired. It's unbelievable to me. Now, look, we know why Hackett's not getting fired. It is what it is. But you can't tell me that some of these other guys couldn't have walked the plank. Somebody like Keith Carter, who had his own players calling him out on social media, they all hate him. Becton and Brees Hall were laughing at people calling him terrible. We heard about Taylor the one and Adam Penke and all these guys that have said how bad Keith Carter is and, I remember before the Jets hired him as the O-line coach, I asked around to people that covered him in Tennessee and that were around the situation. And the best description I got of him, I'm saying this is 
the best case scenario was, well, when Chris, uh, excuse me, when, um, uh, when the running game was good and when the offensive line was healthy, then they were fine. But when anything went wrong, it was a disaster. So the best you could think of him was if he has everything at his disposal, he's not going to get in the way enough to screw it up. That was the best you could hear out of that, right? So, so basically, so, he's, he, he's no Dante Scarnacchia. <laughs> right. Well, so when you hear, oh, well, if he has a healthy Derrick Henry and the O-line is, okay, great. Yeah, like you said, he's no Dante Scarnecchia or Bill Callahan or somebody like that. But ultimately, what it comes down to is this offense was terrible. No one got held accountable for it. And now you go into the next season, and this is what you have to hope for. You have to hope Aaron Rodgers comes back healthy. You have to hope that Aaron Rodgers being back helps nullify some of the absolute incompetence you saw from Nathaniel Hackett. You have to hope that Rodgers coming back helps light a bit of a spark with Alan Lazard, who was so bad he was inactive for half the season, got benched for a five foot nine undrafted rookie, right? You have to hope that Joe Douglas figures out a way to fix this O-line and fix the pass catching group. Now, Tyler Conklin's fine. He's a solid tight end, nothing more than that, but solid. Garrett Wilson's excellent. That's great. Brees Hall got to use some more in the passing game. We know that, but you've got to get at least one, probably two serious upgrades there. In addition to two new tackles, most likely Uh, you need a guard because even if Vera Tucker comes back, you need an insurance policy. And by the way, Lakin Tomlinson's terrible. So well, they, yeah. they've got a lot to fix here. I mean, I mean question Scott, becomes Scott, I can qualify this for our listeners just so that they have a little bit of context for this guy. So what he's talking about lacking, it's one thing to look at a piece of paper and go, well, we've got bodies and we've got guys and we've got some recognizable names. Garrett Wilson had a thousand yard season because he's a very talented player in an offense that was starved for them. The team's next best receiver in terms of receptions was the running back, Brees Hall. He was third in yardage on the team, which is a problem. And your fourth best receiving option in terms of yardage for the season was the receiver, Alan Lazard, who got benched and only got 23 receptions on the year. That's, I mean, you might as well be lost wandering the desert. if You're trying to find true offensive difference makers on this roster. And you do not want to put yourself in the position again, which is what I suspect the Jets were thinking initially. Oh, it's okay. Aaron Rodgers is so good. He'll make everybody better. Well, number one, what if Aaron Rodgers gets hurt and bingo, everything falls apart. We just saw it. And number two, if you really want to make a run and not just get, get to a playoff spot, you got to do better than that. You can't just say it's Garrett Wilson and pray for rain. You got to do more than that. But the point I'm making is here, they've got to do some things in free agency it's not going to be that easy, right? Mike Evans is going to be a free agent, but who's to say he leaves Tampa, especially with how well they're playing and the connection he seemed to form with Baker Mayfield there, right? You look at a guy like T. Higgins, I don't think he's shaking free. They'll probably tag him, maybe they trade him, but then you got to give up picks that you don't really have because that comes to the next part of this, which is because of the Aaron Rodgers trade, the Jets thankfully still have their first round pick, but they don't have a second rounder. And this happens to be a draft where, You've got a lot of really talented pass catchers and offensive linemen that are probably going to go within the first two rounds. Problem is, Jets don't have a second-round pick, so how do you get one? Can you trade down? Well, like you said before, the Jets are at number 10. They're not near the top, so 
if they're able to get to trade down, it probably won't be for anything super special. Maybe you get an extra third round pick. It's not bad, but is it enough to to move down if there's an old lineman you really want at number 10 or Brock Bowers or somebody like that, right? And then you look at the other possibility. You could move up from the third round because the Jets do have two first, fourth round picks. You could use a fourth rounder to move up from the third to the second. But here's the issue with that. Now you have very few picks after that because you'd have a first, a second, a third, and a fourth, and I think one-fifth. So you got five picks, and you need this big overhaul. So ideally you'd like to trade down, but I don't know that this is a draft where sitting at number 10 you're going to get much to move out of that pick, if anything at all, because, look, there's three quarterbacks in this draft that are probably going in the top 10, and if you want one of them, you probably have to trade ahead of the Jets anyway. So no one's trading up for a quarterback. I suppose it's possible there's a receiver or somebody that slips a little and maybe somebody comes up for him. We saw this a couple of years ago. If you remember, the Eagles jumped up from 12 to 10 ahead of the Giants to grab Devonta Smith. Mm -hmm. You might have something like that where you can slide back two or three spots and pick up a third or fourth round pick. I guess it's better than nothing. But ultimately, the Jets have to get two new tackles, either in free agency or the draft. They've got to get a, a real option at guard. They've got to get one, probably two pass catchers. I mean, listen, you know how it is, Drew. Well, this Everybody is like going. Is it, this sounds like, well, this this sounds like one of those things where you've gone window shopping. Like you've got, like I'm married. My wife doesn't listen to this podcast. Which I can say this, <laughs> and honey, if you do hear it, listen, I love you. It's like you. It's like you're out shopping. And, you know, you're talking to your wife and you're going, OK, well, what do we need or what, what do you want? And she's going, OK, well, I, this couch, the, I would really like this couch. And also we need a new piece of furniture in this room. And also I really like this framed photo to go on the wall and I need this and I need that. And I go, OK, well, how much does all of that cost? And she goes, I don't know. It's probably going to be like it's probably going to be like six, seven thousand dollars. And you pull up the old bank account and you go, OK, I've got eighteen hundred dollars to work with. <laughs> This is well, well, Drew. The other, another, another part of this, too, though, that you got to remember not only is it that as far as the cap, but you're also looking at a situation where let's say Mike Evans isn't tagged and he's out there, right? And he's willing to listen to offers. Well, do you think the Jets are the only damn team that are going at that's yes. going after Mike Evans? Like, and you're gonna find yourself in the same- a team thing. You're going to find yourself in the same situation yeah. the Patriots have, where the Patriots have been trying to make... They made a giant offer to Allen Robinson, who was clearly washed, but he they made him a gigantic offer in free agency two years ago, and he went to play for the Rams instead for less money. And they did that with a number of free agents over the years. But it's because you watch well, this as a franchise that agents and players are starting to look at going... Man, the shine is really worn off New England, even though they have money. I don't want to go. The Jets are well, in it's, danger it's of more. being that same kind of in that well, same kind of dynamic. So it's up to the GM now. Well, well, right, but it's not only that. It's just like you know how it is, man. Fans of teams will look at these free agent lists and they'll go, "Oh, listen!" Like I saw this passed around and it made me laugh. It went viral. I'm like, "You guys are too funny." Like, here's how you can fix the Jets in the off season. And it was like. 
sign Jonah Williams to this much money, sign Robert Hunt to this much money, sign T Higgins to this much money, sign Ryan Tannehill to this much money. And it's like, yeah, sure. If the Jets get every single good free agent on the market, because there's not 31 other teams that are trying to sign these guys. Like if Mike Evans is available, you've got at a minimum five to six teams that are in the mix for him. Right. Everybody just assumes that your team is going to be able to get, I've said this many times. If you can, if your team can land one premium free agent and one like decent free agent in an off season, you're killing it because we've seen this. Like how many times jets, perfect example. Okay. Last year they go after Orlando Brown, offer him the most money. He goes to Cincy for less money, but I think it was more upfront, whatever it was. Mm-hmm. But you remember what happened with Joe Tooney? Everybody was saying the jets are going to get Joe Tooney. The jets are going to get Joe Tooney. Then the Patriots franchise tag him. Okay, he's free the next year. Jets are going to get Joe Tooney. They're willing to give him whatever. Blah, blah, blah. First day, boom, right out of the gate, signs with the Chiefs. Because Joe Tooney, yeah, the Jets want him, but Joe Tooney's got a ton of options. Maybe he signs with the Jets. Maybe he doesn't. And in this case, he didn't. And that's kind of what you're looking at yep. with these premium free agents. Each of these guys is going to have a lot of suitors. You can't just assume the Jets are going to be able to get this guy at this position and that guy at that position. Like, it doesn't really work that way. So now as an outsider looking at this, Obviously, I think you and I, and I, and I think just listening to your podcast and following your work and following just what I know, like in the media that I'm reading about the Jets, like we're kind of reaching a watershed moment here where Joe Douglas, like it's to, for Joe Douglas and Robert Sala, like this offseason and this upcoming year, is, it's going to be sink or swim. There's going to be a significant amount of pressure on them to fix all of these sins and right all of these wrongs. So that's all in front of us. You guys are over at Play Like a Jet are going to do a phenomenal job of covering that. But as we go, last question. Do you view the 2023-2024 season as a success or as a failure? I mean, listen, I think you have to consider it a failure with all the expectations. Now, of course, everybody will use the caveat about Rodgers and the injuries. No question. But it wasn't a success. If you want to argue that okay, they deserve a mulligan and it's not all their fault. Okay. But you had, you had people, some people believing that maybe Zach Wilson was salvageable here with the jets. That's out the window. You had people with these super bowl dreams that never happened, let alone the playoffs, right? Makai Becton comes back after two years. He played well for a while. Then he had that stretch where I think he was probably hurt, but he really kind of went downhill. Then he had that one game at the end. Now he may be gone. And there's a guy that you they used uh, the 11th pick in the draft on a couple of years ago, and he's not going to make it to a second contract. The Jets have a terrible record of getting guys to second contracts. So ultimately, and Quinn Williams, I think, is the is the rare exception. Ultimately, you have to look at this and say, okay, You've got a couple more cheap years with guys like Sauce and Brees Hall and Garrett Wilson and guys like that, and you've got to take advantage of it. And, you know, you can't just – they won seven games for the second year in a row after building themselves up as we have a shot to win the Super Bowl is what they kept saying, right? Well, yeah, it, you can't consider a season of success when it's a losing season for – the umpteenth time in a row and they lose all these games and there's questions about the coaching staff and the GM and all that. So like you said, 
I think it's put up or shut up this year. It should be. I hope Woody Johnson – look, if I'm Woody Johnson, like I said, I'm telling these guys, here's the deal. I'm overseeing you to make sure that you don't do anything that's hugely detrimental to the future, right? Or maybe I even tell them this after the draft and after free agency to avoid them doing something like, oh, we're trading three first-round picks for T. Higgins because who cares if the Jets don't make the playoffs this year? We're both fired, so we better go for broke. I want to make sure that doesn't happen. But ultimately, you got to tell these guys at some point, you guys have to know, you know, you don't get a million years here. Joe Douglas has been here since 20, what he came in in uh, 2019. I know that McCag- it was McCagan's offseason or whatever, but you don't get an eternity here in the NFL. I don't want to hear shit about how, oh, we drafted a couple of good players and stuff. You got to make the playoffs this year, or you guys can, as Martin Lawrence used to say, get to stepping. That's <laughs> where I would be coming from. And I would hope that that's what Woody Johnson tells him at some point. There is something. There is something knowing you and having met you in person. I love you quoting Martin Lawrence. Like that's just the most fitting. That's the most <laughs> fitting way to wrap this, guys. I hey, listen. Look on the bright side. At least you're not the Patriots. In the off season, you yeah, guys are going to have sure. a, you guys are going to have a ton of content. Why don't you tell everybody where they can find find all of your stuff as you cover the Jets' quest to try to right this ship? Excellent question, Shelton. Much like. The wrestlers in the old territory days who worked basically 365 days a year, we've got new shows literally 365 days a year, unless it's a leap year. So we'll continue through the off season. We'll keep doing some news and notes shows. We'll look inside the numbers. Randy Lang will be on a couple of times. We'll do some mailbags. We're going to do the off season round tables. That's a yearly tradition on the show where people who don't normally appear on the show, or and, and are from different walks of life. Like, for example, you might hear a beat reporter come on. You might hear a movie star, a TV star, uh, a rock star, a pro wrestler, uh, somebody who covers news for a living. All these people that are no, that have notoriety in other arenas, but are huge Jets fans come on and have their opportunity to, to sound off on what's going on with the Jets. In fact, for example, there's a rapper named on Q who actually has done some great work producing records for Eminem. He's a huge Jets fan. And we were texting back and forth. And I was like, you ready to come back on for the round table? And he goes, yeah, man, I got a lot to get off my chest. I'm going to call some people out. And I'm going to rant. I'm like, that's exactly what I want. You, you, you come on and you rant, buddy. You rant like in a rap song or something, whatever you want to do. So we're going to do a lot of that. And then obviously stuff leading up to free agency after free agency. And then, all the draft coverage, that's always fun. And then we'll, we'll do that all the way up through the draft. And then after that, we'll analyze who they got. So there's always something going on, but 365 days a year, you can download the show wherever you get podcasts. You can also uh, go to uh, playlikeajet.com. We're working on some things there. We've got the, uh, the, the store, tpublic.com, it's teepublic.com, and you can catch me on Twitter at playlikeajet1. Drew, this will be an interesting one for you guys this weekend. It's always fun when the Chiefs and the Bills play. I don't care what anybody says. Allen and Mahomes is a fun rivalry. We can talk about who's won what or who lost, whatever. You're talking about, to me, the two guys. Joe Burrow is a great quarterback, but when Josh Allen's at his best – 
I think the only guy better than him is Mahomes. So if you get the best of Josh Allen versus the best of Patrick Mahomes, those are the two best guys. And and if you're a football fan, that's what you want to see. That's the most entertaining football that you can get. That's the best football you can get right now. So I'm looking forward to that game. And, and we'll see if the Bills continue on because the Dolphins are out, obviously, and the Jets and Patriots never made it. So the AFC East only has one representative left now. And that brings us to our final guest of the evening. Something a lot of people have been looking forward to, understandably, for a week and change. Mr. Alfartiaga from Three Yards Per Carry, as we circle back to talk about the Dolphins, who finished second place in the AFC East with an 11-6 and record, and whose season is now also, much like the Patriots and Jets, officially over. Elf... <laughs> I first of all, I want to start by saying this. I think everybody at NBC owes me five ninety nine because those scumbags got me for six dollars to watch that. Like, do you subscribe to Peacock? Uh, I get it for free for some some reason. <laughs> well, lucky you! I paid to watch that game. And hey, I you got That was a pretty damn good football game for about a half. It was half cool. of a third quarter. It was it was close, right? To start, wasn't it cool how we kept threatening like to the thirty yard line, and then we would go backwards on penalties all the way to the fifty, and then we would just miss somebody wide open. Or so, walk yeah. me through the Dolphins fan experience of watching that game. Like, what's going on in your head, quarter by quarter, as this thing is evolving? As that that thing was evolving, uh, all I kept thinking was like. How the hell are we doing this on defense? Because we, we were finding guys off the street that were here like two days, and these guys are playing off 30 snaps <laughs> in this game, okay? And I'm watching Christian Wilkins and Zach Sealer, and I'm thinking to myself, man, we got to give Christian Wilkins whatever the hell he wants. You know, just unload the Briggs truck because those two guys, like those guys, look, the team was 11-6. and six. Those two guys were like, you know, 14-3 and three or mm-hmm. something like that. Like they were the, the one seed. Like, you could count on those guys. A lot of those guys played really, really hard, and they were keeping Kansas City at bay. Uh, defense was playing well. Uh, the offense was just mustering, you know, some offense to just threaten the red zone. Well, here's a uh, question. But they just couldn't <clears throat> do anything once they got there. It's Oh, they would go backwards. So the statistics on this are really ugly, right? So you look at the, like, one, one of 12 on third down conversions. And they didn't convert their first third down until it was like, I want to say it was in the third quarter. They were already down by more than two scores. And they finally get their first third down conversion. How does the team that far and away, because if you look at all the statistical things that this team accomplished over the season, and then you look at that performance, is this kind of like the Bills against Cincinnati last year where it's just... You guys just, it's a war of attrition and everyone talks about a long season and then you guys finally just ran out of gas. <laughs> Is that what that, because yeah. all the injuries, like this was where I kept thinking of, all of the injuries that we're talking about here were on defense. So when I'm looking at, oh my God, you've got Justin Houston and Mel, uh, and Ingram are your, like those are your pass rushers. <laughs> and Malik Reed and Bruce Irvin. Hey, do you, we, you, brought, we brought back all the hits. It's literally like if you put all of those players in a time machine and went back to 20, like 2015, you would have an all, had an all-star defensive line. So 
the injuries, like Duke Riley, I'm watching this guy fucking limp around out there. It's clear he's just, there's nobody else to turn to. So they're just like, look, man, you got to gut this game out. It sucks. You're struggling to cover guys, but you're going to have to do it because everyone's hurt. So I don't understand how that impacts the offense to such a degree. Like the offense was supposed to be the thing where it's like, okay, we've got Waddle. We've got Hill. We, our line is what the line has been for most of the year, but we were able to make a lot of hay with that. And all of it just went up in smoke. Yeah, and you can see it uh, on the Hard Knocks episode on, on the sideline. You can see Waddle like, coming to the realization, why do we still have seven points? And he's talking to Tyreek Hill, and Tyreek Hill's just shaking his head like, <laughs> you, know, you know, we're done. Like, you know, th- there's nothing left here, you know? And th- there's uh, what's, what's instructive about it is if you watch that game, Tua completes a – he has a, a play action where he completes an out route to Jalen Waddle, and it goes for 17 yards. And the very very next play is a simple screen pass that he completely misses. But he misses him as if – like if he's trying to throw in between like a win – no, he's trying to throw it like six yards away to Devon Achan with blockers out in front of him, and he completely misses it. He throws it at his feet. And then he has another one where he throws it over Mostert's head. The the cold weather, obviously, look, he was good against the Bills last year, but I keep trying to tell people that's different. Last <laughs> year against the Bills in the snow, the coldest it got was like 22 degrees. And sometimes when you have snow flurries, it softens the harshness of the cold. <laughs> there was no wind. This was different. This was minus 30 windshield with 30 mile power winds. If you look at the all 22 and you look at the end zone view, there are plays where two is dropping back to pass. And the goalposts are moving side to side. My, my, <clears throat> there was a snap in the game where my wife goes, wait a minute, what, what just happened? Like, she's kind of in and out. At this point in the night, she's about half awake, and she's watching the game with me. And it's like she was half awake when she saw it, so I had to rewind so I could show her exactly what happened. There's a snap. Now, this is from a quarterback who was talking openly about, oh, I'm not going to wear gloves. First of all, that's the dumbest shit I've ever heard. Second of all, he takes a snap off the fingertips, and it's like you could tell his hands just don't work. <laughs> he's trying to get the yeah. snap, and it just bounces. He's all thumbs at this point, and it's the ball's in the dirt, and now he's scram- He's like, oh, I got a double clutch, triple clutch, and now you're, you can't. There's no coming and back. All you had to do is look. Uh, first of all, they're different players, right? Uh, Tua is more of a precise passer. You know, uh, mm-hmm. like he's not he's not going to power balls, you know, 20 yards down the field. He's going to be precise. He's going to throw with anticipation. Uh, Mahomes is the opposite. Mahomes is actually a power passer. If you watch them in that game, he was incompetent, too. Oh, no, they just, sucked. They were bad. Like Mahomes was just better. He was good <laughs> enough to score the 19 points that were required because that, that last touchdown was a pile of crap. OK, but he scored enough. He scored what was required to win that game in those conditions. Yep. And now if if, if you're going to say anybody actually like really dominated uh, their side of the ball, I would say that the the Chiefs tackles, not the tackles, the the Chiefs interior line did a pretty good job as far as getting together some type of running game to form offense. Now, I know you talked about back to Brinks truck up for Christian Wilkins. You're so, so there's a guy in our roster, Jordan Phillips. And one of the things that rubs everybody here in our fan base raw is that he is always on the on the committing end of some nonsense, unnecessary penalty. And it's always at the worst time. 
Yeah, there's a Jordan Phillips play earlier earlier in the year where it's like, okay, we're playing Tampa Bay, and he gets called for roughing the passer, and you're like, all right. You, and he's trying to plead his case, but it's like, you didn't need to be there. You didn't need to do any of this. And now the game goes on. And there's throughout the years of him being a part of this franchise, there have been these moments in games where you look at him and you go, Man, I love everything you bring from a pass rush perspective for a rotational D-tackle, but holy shit, do you need to stop? You need to turn it off sometimes, or you need to just be smarter. Wilkins just, it's almost like he's that guy who plays with an edge, but you can almost set your watch by the fact that there will come a point where he takes it a little too far, and it's just a matter of whether the ref wants to throw a flag or not. And that's almost every game I've seen him play. That play was huge because they were going to force another field goal. And instead of fourth down and 20, it's first and goal at the two-yard line. Like, like that's a pretty big difference, okay? So, so, so if you're the guy who's talking about giving him this monster extension, what's that conversation look like between the coaches and the player and between the front office and the agent? Like, what? Because you can give a guy, like, we gave that big extension to Ed Oliver. Ed Oliver plays an aggressive and yet really disciplined style of football. I mean, you can go back through his jacket. I think you'd be hard-pressed to find a personal foul. And if there's one, it's probably singular. Whereas Wilkins is this guy who lives on that edge and crosses the line more often than I think you'd like, if, especially if you're going to sink a lot of resources into it. Because I'm sure you guys want the guy. Because the guy, you know, people are like, oh, I can't believe you're talking about signing this guy. Of course you're going to sign him. Because the 90% of the time he's doing his fucking job, you want that. Can you guys live with the 10% of the time where he pulls stuff like that? Well, I think that his reputation is costing him a lot of bullshit penalties. Yes. He he blasted uh, Dak Prescott, but it was completely legal. Like, there's no way... And he blasted him with his hands. I don't know if you saw that play against the Cowboys. He no, blasted no. him with his hands up in the air. But what, is, what do you want him to do? You want him to throw himself on the floor neck first and paralyze himself because he, he has to avoid stumbling into the, the quarterback? That call against, against Mahomes, problem is I see it all the time. Patrick <laughs> Mahomes gets that call. Sure. For whatever reason. But but so then if you're the player, you got to be smart enough to know that. That's like Josh Allen. He needed to know that. You're going to play Josh Allen twice yeah. a year. you got to know you can't do that or else Josh might even sell it. And guess what? 15 yards. Well, uh, Josh Allen actually sold one against us the week 18. He just didn't of get course. the call. Of course he did. You know? But it was one of those things where Wilkins gets through, you know, I, in your case it was Torrance, and then in this case it was Tooney. He gets through them. Gets right to the quarterback. Ball's gone right at the last second, and he puts his hands up and gives like a slight shove. You can't do that. Because in this case, instead of fourth and 20, because if you saw the play, Mahomes yeah. threw it away. Yep. He threw the ball away. He's like, man, all I got is Wilkins in front of me, and there's nobody up. I'm throwing it away. Oops. Now I got a 15-yard penalty, and now it's first and goal at the two-yard line. So now, instead of trying a long field goal. So now the season's over. It's probably like... For a season that started with all of these fireworks and all of this hope, you guys played arguably your two worst games to end the season. Like your last two, your last two games, three worst. And I I was going to say you could argue for a month you played really subpar football compared to the team that you were when you started. And this is yet again another year where down the stretch. 
it's not even just, hey, we lost, but it was a close fought game and it was hard and we took it to the wire. It's a game. It's a thing where you kind of are left looking at the quarterback and looking at the coach and going, guys, this, the momentum at the beginning is fine. You got to find it at the end because that's what winning teams do. You look at the Patriots. I hate to say this because earlier this year I was screaming into the ether of this microphone and the internet about how Sean McDermott was just this massive problem for the Buffalo Bills. But the man's record in the month of December is impeccable. I don't know what I, I don't know what voodoo. I don't know what he's I don't know what he does. It's just by that point in the season, he knows what is required. He motivates his team. They find ways. None of, I mean some of our wins weren't pretty. The Kansas City thing was a stroke of luck and also just hard physical play for four quarters. But they found a way. Our game against you wasn't pretty. <laughs> Yet they found a way. And uh, he has an ethos. Uh, Sean McDermott has has an ethos. Okay, on defense, he will not allow a big play, no matter what. Mm-hmm. Okay, his whole defense is going to be geared to forcing you to drive the length of the field. And if you lack discipline for for any part of it, you're going to fall into the same traps the Dolphins did in that last game in Week 18. And Miami, uh, quite frankly, on offense this year, and you could see it. Uh, it started showing up big time toward the end of the year in 2022. Okay, they lack the patience for that type of offense. Yep, they, they need to be able to hit that 60 yard touchdown, and when they do, they're going to score points. That you know they're going to play in that. It, look, that was a they lost the game mostly due to Josh Allen's heroics in Buffalo last year in that snow game. But the reason they were in that game is because they hit two big plays. Yep. They had a bomb to Tyreek Hill for a touchdown, and they hit the big play to Waddle. Yep, and that's how they scored the twenty nine points to have the the lead late in the fourth quarter. Yep, but mm. they didn't really have disciplined offense until they get that disciplined type of offense. They're going to have these issues in December because all of these teams. I, I look, I do film study on my on my uh, Discord on OnlyFans, and I show it sometimes, and I laugh about it. There were plays uh, the Bills just do it because that's part of their their defense. But there were plays that the Ravens were on defense, and they got their safeties lined up pre-snap 28 yards down the field, and they're dropping at the snap. Uh, like, that's – first of all, I'm laughing at it, but second of all, like, you're not going to throw deep on this. Like, that's a fact. Right? Yeah, like, so don't try. Stop doing so, this. So, so guess what? Uh, what they're trying to do is working. <laughs> okay? Yeah. They and- completely <clears throat> take away what you're obsessed with trying to get until they can sustain offense uh, – by dinking and dunking, running the football, you know, they're going to have these issues because you can't rely on just big plays. That works, you know, in September, October, November, when not everybody's in tune defensively. Or when, quite frankly, you're playing bad teams. So the thing that we're now kind of closing all of these things out with, because there's a couple thoughts. First of all, and I think probably the, the best question for this, does this season constitute a success or a failure in your eyes? Oh, no, it's an absolute, it's a complete and total and utter failure. Now, you want to talk about individual successes? Sure. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a few players that were pretty damn good. Zach Sealer moved on from from nice defensive tackle to, in my opinion, one of the best defensive tackles in football. You know, like, that's an individual success. Zach Sealer uh, was we, making plays in that game. He batted a ball at the line of scrimmage. He was playing hard. Like, you could see him trying to put his fingerprints on the game. Yeah, he's a great, he's a, he's a great player. You can always count on him, you know. 
Uh, uh, we bought an expensive cornerback. Did it work out? Yes, Jalen Ramsey was legit. But at the same time, we learned that Xavier Howard is now breaking down. Yep. So we might have to save money there. There. So there's a lot of individual successes, but uh, overall, the, the the season was an absolute, total and utter failure. So now one of the you, biggest failures well, in franchise history, to to be exact. Now, with that in mind, you're coming off the heels of what is one of the biggest failures, then, in your opinion, and you enter an off season because now the question is, what's next? What each what is each team's biggest off season storyline? What's the thing that you guys on OnlyFans are going to be talking about for the next six months while we get ready to try to do this again? And I think that it starts with what, I mean, two years in, you know, there, there's something about growth for a coach, like growth in the NFL isn't linear. So you could have a coach who starts out with a rocky road who then gets better. You could have a coach who comes in like Sean McDermott and just has success and continues to kind of, he never takes that jump, right? It's not Nick Sirianni like, hey, I'm going to be in the Super Bowl in my first three years. But you can see that he's already set a baseline, and that baseline is pretty successful. And then you have coaches where it's, to your point, there's an impatience. There's flaws. And these flaws are critical in terms of what your team is accomplishing on the field, and those flaws have to be addressed. The question is, can they? Do they have it in them to, if they lose a Frank Smith to the offseason head coaching cycle, even though he doesn't call the plays, he's someone who they defer to and they talk to in the building and who helps. He has a significant role on offense. If you guys lose some pieces of this, like, first of all, the coach, like, where that development goes is part of it. And what about the quarterback? Like, are those the two biggest storylines of the offseason for the Dolphins? Yeah, and uh, McDaniel was asked about this uh, as soon as the season ended when he did his his availability with Chris Greer. Chris Greer just sat there saying absolutely nothing, uh, but that's usually what, what he always does. But McDaniel said, they asked him, uh, is, is uh, dropping play-calling duties also on the table? And he says, we scored seven points in a playoff game. Of course it's on the table. Okay. So he says everything is on the table, and I think everything should be. I To be honest with you, you mentioned Frank Smith. He already interviewed for a job. Uh, I think that our play, I think, damaged <laughs> Frank Smith's uh, uh, prospects as a head coach. Like Dan Quinn. It's like I saw a tweet. They were like, every, they're like hopefully, hopefully Dan Quinn gets a job offer before they watch the tape of this Cowboys game. <laughs> so selfishly speaking, I think we screwed up his job prospects, and he would be the top candidate to take over play calling duties and if he does take over play calling duties then it's a guy with a, a run background and offensive line background so you would expect there'll be some changes as far mm-hmm. as you know how they run offense on this team and then there's the quarterback question now you just because because you pointed something out you said earlier Mahomes is a power thrower and two is more of a timing, like, hey, if you give me the reads and you can scheme, make the scheme happen, I can throw a ball into a tight window or I can, I can throw with anticipation into an open plane where my receiver, because I'm, my timing with him is good, I can throw to an open spot, know he's going to get there and watch, watch good things happen for my offense. The question is, what's that worth? Because what you're seeing is, is that sometimes you have to be a power thrower. Sometimes there has there has to be something special about what you do when you get to this level. 
You're talking about C.J. Stroud showing off just absurd arm talent in that game against Cleveland. We know what Josh Allen is. The the 52-yard run against Pittsburgh, which is hilarious that people are talking about he faked a slide. (laughs) I don't think – no, my favorite video was the video of Josh. Someone put together Josh Allen running his 40 and then compared it to Moe's from The Office. Like running, like Dwight's cousin Moe's. And it's the most awkward run you've ever seen. This guy's just a big, dumb animal when he gets in the open field. <laughs> He's just lurching around out there. He, You look at Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson is lethal with his legs because he's compact. He's got great short area quickness. He's got fluid hips, so he cuts. And he's nice. improving as a passer every single year. And he's improving as a passer. But again, he has the, le- the lethality of his legs and the fact that he uses them, but he's not like Allen. Instead of like, hey, I'm going to run through your arm tackles, Lamar Jackson just says, hey, I can get to a spot faster than you and cut an angle that you can't touch me on, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to eat space, and I'm going to chew up yards if you give them to me. Because he does something special. Patrick Mahomes, just his vision and his arm talent, special. You're talking about a quarterback in Tua who can be good when everything's in structure and everything's in time, but if you ask him to single-handedly, and I think nothing encapsulated this more, then when you guys needed a third down conversion, I believe it was like third and six, and he tried to run, and he only made it like three or four yards and slid, and then you guys just punted. And that was... <laughs> you have to do something special in order to get to the level where you're talking about competing for a championship or a Super Bowl. Like You have to have that in order to be in that conversation. And I just don't know that he can get there. So then the question is, are you guys willing to pay the type of premium that these players who have these special talents are making to have a guy who does a lot of things well, but maybe not well enough to single-handedly turn a game with a play the way Josh Allen has shown that he can. Well, uh, the thing about Tua is that stats don't seem to apply to him, but they apply to everybody else. Mm -hmm. Uh, His numbers say that, yes, he should be paid at least what Justin Herbert is getting paid because I think that, that debate is settled in year four. It's he's been well, too much better. He's been better than Justin Herbert for way too long already. Now here's a question though: Do you think Justin Herbert, like if you had to do an NFL redraft right now, and you have the fifth or sixth pick in the draft, is Justin Herbert a guy that you would say I want to start my franchise from the ground up with that guy? Uh, most GMs uh, are blinded by the the size, arm strength, and say, look, I'm going to work with that. Now, he needs uh, the right framework. He doesn't have the right framework right now. Uh, Tua does have the right framework. Uh, Tua is not an all-terrain quarterback, okay? <laughs> no, he's not. Okay. Which, make, but I've which, seen makes, him, but, but, which makes the but you head coach's play, choice of a T-shirt really unfortunate because you know But you saw him play him. effectively uh, in Buffalo in 22-degree weather with the snow. You saw him play effectively there. You saw him play effectively in in the rain uh, this year against the Raiders. Uh, But is he going to need home games to eventually win a Super Bowl? Yeah, but so did a lot of other quarterbacks. He's just the latest of those quarterbacks that's going to need home games to win uh, a Super Bowl. You know, and the thing is, everybody wants to compare them to to compare him to Mahomes and to and and to Josh Allen. He may have better numbers than those guys, but but. For an individual game or series of games, he's not better than those guys because those guys are elite. And there's 
very few of them. Yeah. You know, I just added, look, I added Lamar Jackson. Are, are we sure that Joe Burrow's elite or is Lua Anarumo elite? Okay. Because Joe Burrow has gotten and won big games in the playoffs and he won one in Buffalo. He didn't play all that great in any of those games. He just didn't screw it up. I think Jake Browning coming in and scoring 30 points a game kind of put everyone, they, everyone had to take a step back and go, oh, oh, Jake Browning. Wait, well, if that guy can do it, then what's happening here? Like, what is this system? What? I hear what you're saying. Burrow's still very good. I just, I, I hesitate to think. If you guys, are you ready right now? If you're the GM, and that's where it's going to be interesting to see what the price is. But if you're the GM, first of all, is Tua a guy that you can't live without? Uh, yeah, they need him. And not only do they need him, but uh, they have to extend him because they have to lower the cap charge this coming year. You guys are because, back into a corner. Because, because they're, they're prepared to go to the mattresses for, for, for Christian Wilkins, meaning that they want to send him ex- and extend him. And if he holds out to the last second, they're just going to tag him. Yep. And they're going to say, we'll say our goodbyes in a year, but you're playing for us this year. Mm-hmm. You know? Meanwhile, because, you're paying him top dollar. You're talking about what, like $19 million? Somewhere I think I, I think for Christian Wilkins it's twenty one. Okay, so but you can't do that and pay Tua his fifth year option. Yeah, because you got to you got to try to retain Rob Hunt, you know, and you're going to need Van Ginkle. <laughs> you can't watch you your injuries. offensive line lose one of its mo- one of its better players, and you got to retain yeah. somebody from a pass rush perspective. And you got and it's that thing of roster building and roster management. Now you guys, and that's are- why you extend Tua because that's a fountain of cash you could keep finding. Yeah, you know? as long as that fountain of cash can bring wins when it matters down the stretch of a season, and that's, and then you just hope his durability. Like, hey, you hope that this is now the this is the mean, not an outlier, and you hope that, hey, we can put the rest of these things together. And we, there's just a lot. There's a lot. I think that the biggest storyline for the Dolphins is probably roster building and how they go about retooling. From a financial perspective, this roster, while still trying to maintain the same level of well, they have they have one major reality on on that roster. Okay, their best offensive linemen were Teron Armstead, Connor Williams, and Robert Hunt. All three of them paid, played less than fifty percent of the snaps this year. Yeah, they were all <laughs> in and problem. out of the lineup, and they had thirteen combinations. When they finally got them back, well, they never got Connor Williams back because he was out for the year. But when they finally got two of them back. They got him for one playoff game, and it was in minus 30-degree weather. You know? So they got to settle, especially the interior of the offensive line. They ended up playing way too many people. Uh, they trusted Isaiah Wynn. What happens? Tears his hamstring. And he started off all right. He started playing off pretty good. And everybody's like, well, this is a pretty good signing by Chris Greer. Until he tore his hamstring. And you end up playing Lester Cotton 600 snaps. And he can't play. He just can't play. <laughs> Robert Jones is a guy that, and they ended up playing him, who's a good backup. But he's one-dimensional. He's a drive blocker. He's a good run blocker. He's big, physical, strong, nasty. That's all Robert Jones does. He's not going to be good in this system as, uh, if you have to start him. He's a backup. Liam Eikenberg, same thing. He's a backup center, backup quality player. They end up playing three backup interior offensive linemen for most of the year. And if you know how Tua plays... That that's a no no. Like Tua can get away with bad tackle play because he he did it his first two years here. He cannot get away with bad play up the middle because the, once he gets the trash at his feet, 
his whole game goes away. And the one thing I will say as we wrap this conversation, this is where this is where my head would be if I'm a fan of the Dolphins listening to this conversation and I say, oh, of course, it's a no-brainer you signed to us. Yes, obviously, rebuilding the interior of the offensive line is going to be important to his success. Also, I look at Josh Allen. Now, we just talked about special and how special is almost a requirement. If you're going to be making that kind of money, if this is a thing that you are going to have, if it's a thing you're going to commit to, then there's got to be something you do that's special. You look at Josh Allen, he's one of the least sacked quarterbacks, considering how many pressures he has. And part of that is his physicality and his, his escape ability, and sometimes just the fact that these pass rushers they send at him aren't as big as him. And he can muscle his way out of some things. He has that ability, and what that's done for the Bills is that what you're talking about, this dynamic with the O-line, up until this season, that's been the Buffalo Bills. We've been a team with no guard play. We started. We, we had Spencer Brown and uh, uh, Roger Saffold last year who led the NFL going away in pressures. <laughs> it, was, it was crazy. Yeah, and, I, I showed it on, on a film study because uh, one of the things we talked about was the first time you guys played uh, the Dolphins this year, uh, Torrance played a hell of a game against Christian Wilkins. Mm-hmm. He was just really, really good. Uh, forget Zach Sealer. Uh, Zach Sealer sees the Bills. If we had 22 Zach Sealers, we'd be playing right now, okay? Because Zach Sealer, for whatever reason, loves playing against the Buffalo Bills and does big things against the Bills every single time. I don't know what that, why, why that is. Okay, good thing that they extended him. But that first game, Torrance kind of dominated Christian Wilkins. And in the second game, uh, before the game, I did a film study, and I said, look, this can't happen. Christian Wilkins is a dominant defensive tackle. He has to take that rookie to the woodshed in this game. I, I proceeded to show after the game how Christian Wilkins was dominating Torrance all game, to the point where he even had a sack fumble. He had four mm-hmm. pressures. He had a monster game against Torrance, mm-hmm. and it didn't matter nope. because there was plays where Wilkins was beating Torrance with a swim move. Allen was recognizing it. And just taking a subtle step one way or the other. And Wilkins was completely out of position to affect the play at all. And out went the ball. And that's, so, and that's, so he was, that's so Josh I'm, Allen in real time was looking at his offensive line and compensating for all of them. And that's the thing. So you guys can try to fix this thing. And I'm going to be really interested to watch you guys over the offseason and see how you do it. But there again, if you're committing millions and millions and millions of dollars to a quarterback, and you want to take that step, you got to find, you got to get something else out of the guy with the ball in his hands because he's going to at some point have to compensate for something. Mahomes is doing it for his receivers. Allen's been doing it for his offensive line. Lamar right now has, I think he's probably been under the least duress of any of the star quarterbacks, if that's what you want to call him. I, I, you have to find that. And so hopefully they can figure out what two is is before they have to back that Brinks truck up. As you guys go through this process, where can everybody go to listen to you guys expand on this and dissect it over the course of the offseason? You can get our podcast wherever you get your podcast at the number three yards per carry. We're everywhere. We're on every single platform. Um, you want to follow us on, on Twitter, you go to the number three yards per carry. I'm a little bit more active on there right now. I'm trying to goose it to try to you know, increase our member count on our Discord because I need a vacation home. So... <laughs> Uh, if you want to become a member of our Discord, it's discord.gg forward slash OnlyFans. And I don't know why the hell you guys haven't done one yourselves. It's a, it's a license to print money. Uh, if you want, I'll create one for you and then sell it to you. Scott Mason, Alfar Tiaga, Fire and Ice of the AFC's Roundup, 
their costumes were stupid. Yeah. <laughs> I think most wrestling outfits are bad. Like, we know that, like, there's famous comedians who have done writing for the WWF. Mm-hmm. Like, Hannibal Burris was a WWF writer for a long time. How about that? You ready for this one? Yeah. Freddie Prince Jr. Freddie Prince Jr. was a writer for yeah. wrestling? Yeah, he was a writer for WWE. <sighs> He's got a wrestling podcast. I've never listened to it. I have what? heard. I have heard him on other wrestling podcasts. The fact that you listen to re- li- that you're listening to wrestling podcasts, like it's. I'm not shocked. I'm just disappointed. Here's the thing: everybody from that I watched from my childhood now has a podcast. So now, as an adult, I can go back and I can hear them discuss the inner workings of the business. When I was watching it, I, I guess I, if you guys like that inside I baseball, especially I like to listen to Arn, Arn Anderson, Arn Anderson's podcast because he's going through his career chronologically. So every Friday they discuss them a month. So they're in. I started listening to that when they got to I think eighty eight when he arrived at in the WWF. So you got to hear him talk about leaving Crockett Promotions and going to work in New York and then leaving New York and going back to WCW. And so you get to hear about all the storylines, all that inner working bullshit. Fascinated by it. God bless you. Somebody has to help these geezers keep their lights on. (laughs) Somebody has to do it. So we're talking about the Buffalo Bills who finished first place in the AFCs with an 11-6 and record. And I guess when you look at it objectively, right? Was our season a success or a failure? I don't know. I have a hard time answering that question. Because on one hand, we're still in it. We still have the upshot. Like, okay. On one hand, you have what was me damaging my liver, damaging some interpersonal relationships, um, just really wallowing in it over the course of what, what would you say, like a six-week run of our season, Chris? Yeah. Where this team was just underachieving and disappointing. And then Ty Dunn wrote an article. (laughs) Ty Dunn wrote an article and inspired this team to greatness. (laughs) Somewhere right now, Mark I mean, is just that, threw a drink across his office. Is that not slightly true? I mean, take a look at honestly, look at that article, and then how the the Bills have played, and then look at the Eagles. They started ten and one, and then they went what one and six, including that playoff loss. There's some kind of disconnect there where the that could have been us. We could have been the Eagles after that article got released. But no, everyone came together and rallied around Sean McDermott, who still shouldn't be here. Who still shouldn't be here. Well, let's see. Let's see how this goes. Because so that's what I mean. Like At at certain points, this team looked like one of the most frustrating, poorly orchestrated football teams in the NFL. (coughs) At least, I mean, I shouldn't say it like that. What I should say is, they wildly underachieved. And that's disappointing when you know the money we have tied up in a quarterback and in, in an aged, almost useless at times, pass rusher. 
and the money that we can't spend elsewhere. And the fact that our window, in at least in what is this iteration of the Buffalo Bills, is closing. Now, that doesn't mean there won't be future windows. But the current window is not getting any wider. So to see that kind of underachieving is disappointing. And I don't think there's a single Bills fan out there who would fight me on that. If you can't objectively look at what 2023 has been and tell me that right up until we beat Miami and wrestled the division away from them, you weren't going to be disappointed with the ending of the season? Knowing the wild card team. Chris, if we had cemented the sixth seed and had to go back to Miami to play that game again, tell me that there's not a part of you that wouldn't have been disappointed by that. I mean, I expect to win the division every year because we own it now. I would have been, it would have been fun because losing the division would have been fun because of the Dolphin Twitter would have been amazing for that week until they lose it when it matters. Because that's what would have happened. So you've got this team that had every opportunity, and right there, I mean, their balls were this close to the bandsaw, guys. This close. And yet at the same time, I can look at this objectively and say, okay, we are, if you want to just look statistically, uh, offensive touchdowns per game were tied for sixth. We are, what, points per game? We're sixth. We're, more, we're a pretty elite unit. Points per game. Opponent opponent points per game. We're fourth in the NFL. So even with losses and even with, like, a lot of our wounds were self-inflicted and we still lost a lot of close football games. We're still, even when we are having a season that by all accounts is disappointing in the way that it goes and the doldrums and the lulls that we hit, we're still a team that other football fans just pine to be a fan of. With star players like Josh Allen, Stephon Diggs, Ed Oliver emerging after his contract extension, we have players that are easy to root for. And we have guys who anybody in the NFL would want on their team. We have talent. We have numbers that back up the fact that they are a very good football team. Our, our expectations changed. But the team remains what it was, a team that dominates in the final month of a season. And that if you're not, if you like, they're wildly imperfect. But at the same time, they're still dangerous. Chris, how many, how many times can a quarterback turn the ball over three times in a football game and still come back, have more than 300-something yards passing, and win the game. How many times have you heard of anything like that before? Well, I can tell you I know that it doesn't happen often. I just, I look at this and I say to myself, this season, if we give it an incomplete, because there's a part of me that says I want to give it an incomplete because we have this giant test in front of us this weekend. The Chiefs, the the test. First, for, for the first time ever, we get them in the playoffs in our building. For the first time in Patrick Mahomes' career, he has to go on the road. And you have a real opportunity to stake. Like, if you're Josh Allen, like, now is a time 
where you can really stake your claim to something. If you're Sean McDermott, knowing you're going to have crowd support when they're on the field for offense, you know, Mitch Morse in his presser today talked about how it's going to be really nice playing the Chiefs in the playoffs and not having to like know your silent count and be using it a lot of the time because the crowd's going to be so loud. He's like, knowing that we have that advantage and knowing that they're going to have that direct disadvantage in a way that they've never had to experience in the playoffs, it's going to be different. It's going to change some of the, some of the orchestration of the game, if you will. I also think it would be unfair for me to say that the outcome and how I view the season is based solely on this one game. Because you did the thing. You did probably the most improbable thing. You went from single-digit percentage odds. Single-digit percentage odds to hold the number two seed in the NFL. That's crazy. And now... You're a few bad bounces in Baltimore this weekend away from potentially hosting an AFC championship game in your house. You don't think Houston's got a shot? I think that Houston... Question. Because they're going to don't know what Cleveland was. Question. How many playoff wins does Lamar Jackson have? He's got one. I thought he had zero. No, he got one. He beat the Titans, and that's what got him in the game against us. (laughs) He beat the Titans. They beat the Titans in Tennessee and then came to Buffalo to play the divisional round. Yeah. My memory's long, Chris. I'm petty as shit. So with that in mind, I think you have to declare this season a success. Before I watch this game, before I say anything, they go out there and embarrass me. Sure, I'll be furious. If they go out there and they lay an absolute goose egg on Sunday and they piss this opportunity away, sure, I'll be frustrated. I'll be mad at the coach. I'll say a lot of hostile things. I'll have a lot of, there'll be a lot of acrimony. But you can't call a season where you literally pulled yourself out of the grave and into the second highest seed in the playoffs in your conference, a failure. You just can't. I, ask me why, I'll just tell you, I don't make the rules. Them's just the rules. Chris, is that fair? Yes. Okay. So, guys, <clears throat> with that, obviously we've got plenty of time to talk about off-season storylines. I'm not going to bore you with any of that. This has been fun. I'm happy to get to talk about the conference. It's always fun getting to talk about topics that aren't just Bills related. You know, I've got some ideas for off-season content. I've got a, our farewell series is going to be fun. Chris, I'm going to pull together people from the uh, Redskins fan base. We're going to do a whole podcast dedicated to the send-off of Daniel Snyder. We've got a lot of things. Bill Belichick. I have a, I've got ideas for off-season content that I think you guys are going to want to say. If you're, if you're a fan of ours, it means you like pettiness, <clears throat> you like jokes, you like drinking and talking shit about football. We're going to have plenty of that. Bills-related and unbills-related over the course of this upcoming off-season. For everybody who showed up all season long, supported the pod, supported us, I very much appreciate it. But for tonight, we got to get out of here. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Kruger. And this has been your AFC's Roundup.
I'm going to throw that thing in the oven. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.